And I try to be a positive person, not just an optimist or thinking happy thoughts, but I, I try as a spiritual matter to rejoice because I believe that pleases the Lord. One of the challenges of being a positive person, an optimist, a, a hopeful person, is that people see you being positive and they falsely assume that you have no problems. The person who has a positive disposition is not the person who has no problems. He's the person who has learned how to rejoice in his problems. I want to show you from the, and be careful not to let this get tedious, just listen, follow along in your Bible if you want to. But I want you to see the big picture of the book of Philippians in three different lights for a moment this morning. First of all, I want you to see some of the problems that Paul and this church were facing. Let me back up here and tell you what's going on here. That the Apostle Paul was a a traveling preacher. He spent much of his life going from town to town and city to city, winning souls, starting churches, training people to lead a new church, and then moving on to the next town. Sometimes he would spend months in one town. Sometimes he, one time in Thessalonica, he spent three weeks in that one town. And uh, in, in Corinth, he spent about a year and a half. It just depended upon the needs of the city and what God wanted him to do. But he traveled from place to place and place, and that was his ministry for a very long time. Now, he is in prison. He's in prison, and his crime is for he preached the gospel, and he got arrested for that, put in prison. And he now is writing letters to many of the churches that he started. He's writing letters, and some of these letters are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God told him word for word exactly what he wanted him to write because these letters were going to be, were were. They were eternal. Whether Paul knew it or not, they were eternal, and they have lasted perfectly preserved even to our day. So in other words, when Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, it wasn't just to help the church at Philippi, it was to help us. Because everything in that letter was relevant to us because it, God, was in the, God was in the process because he wanted us ultimately to have a Bible that we could count on as 100% dependable. All right, so the church in the city of Philippi was one of the first churches uh, or one of the earlier churches that Paul started. You can go back to Acts chapter 16 and read how Paul started that church. Well, now Paul's at the end of his life, and Philippians... Of the 14 letters that are in the Bible that were written by Paul, or or books of the Bible written by Paul, Philippians is one of the last. It may be the last. It is often debated whether Philippians is the last letter that Paul wrote, or 2 Timothy, if that's the last. 2 Timothy is where Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of life. And so uh, some say that's the last letter that he wrote. And some say that this 
in this letter, Paul is talking about whether, you know what, I'm about to die, probably, and I don't know whether I want to live and continue to serve uh, uh, you and, and churches because that would be helpful to you or whether I just want to go home and be with the Lord. So it's debated whether Philippians, either way, Philippians is one of the very last letters, if not the last letter that Paul penned. All right, so a little background there. So here Paul is in prison writing a letter. You say, how did, you know, they didn't have the United States Post Office. How did they get letters? They sent letters by messengers. And even in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions Timothy, who is Paul's messenger to the church at Philippi. And then he mentions a man named Epaphroditus, who is the the messenger from the church of Philippi to Paul. And so he writes this letter. So let's run through the book, and I want you to see very quickly, in three different lights, things contained in this book. First thing I want you to see is some of the problems that Paul and the church of Philippi were facing. First of all, Paul's in prison. That's a problem. How many of you are glad you're not in prison this morning? Raise your hand if you're glad you're not. I am too. I am, I'm glad I'm not in prison. I'm glad you're not in prison. Paul's in prison. And he's not in a state-of-the-art facilities where if he doesn't get the best treatment, the ACLU is going to be there to sue the state so that he get No, we're, we're talking about no indoor plumbing. We're talking about chains. We're talking about rats. We're talking about, yeah, Paul's in prison. And in spite of the terrible circumstance, there is one thing that's worse than the circumstances inside of the prison. And that's that Paul can't be outside of the prison doing what he believed God called him to do, which was win souls and start churches. Sometimes the hardest thing to do in life is to sit still, isn't it? To uh, sit and watch somebody do a job that you think you should be doing, but you can't. And I've been there, and I am there to some extent, and uh, some of you are there or have been there. So Paul's in prison. He talks about my bonds repeatedly. He's talking about being in prison. There's another problem that was going on with Paul and the church here. And that is that people were preaching the gospel out of spite. Now, I don't understand that kind of motivation for preaching the gospel. It's right there, verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. Paul said, some indeed preach Christ, Christ even of envy and strife, of contention, not sincerely. So here Paul is in prison. And he hears the people out there preaching the gospel with wicked motives. There's another problem that they're facing between Paul and the church here. And that's that Paul is facing the possibility of death. Chapter 1, verse 23. I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. So he knows that his death is imminent. And ultimately, by the way, Paul was executed by being beheaded. Another problem that they're facing, the church in Philippi was being attacked by outsiders. Chapter 1, verse 28. In nothing terrified by your adversaries. And of course, you know that word adversary means enemy. So the church had enemies that was attacking them. 
Another problem that they're facing, and that is that Paul was short-handed on help. Chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So, Paul's in prison. He needs to send people to help these churches. And he has nobody that thinks like he does who will go and represent him properly to these churches. Another problem that they're facing, the messenger that the church had sent to Paul was deathly sick. Verses 26 and 27. It says, He longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. So Paul's in prison. He's hearing of other people preaching the gospel out of spite. He himself is facing the possibility of death. The church of Philippi is being attacked by outsiders. Paul is short-handed on help. The church had sent a messenger to Paul, and and this messenger was deathly sick. And then... False teachers and troublemakers were infiltrating churches in the region. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That is, people that come in to divide. And so, he's got these people that are coming into church, and they act all friendly and act like they want to be here and everything. And then they start teaching false doctrine and dividing the church. Also... There were people within some of the churches that were turning against Christ. Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And if you read the context, he's not talking about persecutors outside of the church. He's talking about people in the church who have turned against Christ and become the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then, just to add insult to all this injury, there were two women in the church at Philippi that were constantly bickering with each other. Chapter 4 and verse number 2. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Or, I could say it this way, why can't you women just stink and get along? So, This is a multitude of problems. He's in prison. He's about to die. There are people out there preaching the gospel out of spite. There are people out there going to the churches that he had started and trying to stir up trouble. They're being persecuted by outsiders. There's turmoil inside of the church. Paul is shorthanded. He can't find any helpers to go and represent him properly in these churches. It's a multitude of trouble. And it would seem like with all of these problems, Paul would be moping. Paul would be saying, this has been so hard. It's so difficult. I'm so tired. I can't take it anymore. But strangely enough, with all of these problems... The book of Philippians, if you ask anybody who knows their Bible, tell me a key word of Philippians, somewhere in the first couple of people, you're going to hear them say the word rejoice. Because in the middle, mixed in with all of these problems, listen to how much Paul talks about rejoicing. This is the second look we're going to take at the whole book. 
chapter 1, verse 4, making requests with joy. By the way, joy and rejoicing are interchangeable. They're like the noun and verb forms of the same concept. Making requests with joy. Chapter 1, verse 18, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Chapter 1, verse 25, for your furtherance and joy of faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy. Chapter 2, verse 16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 2, I joy and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Chapter 2, verse 28, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice. Chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 3, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1, my joy and crown. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. How in the world is this book filled with problems also a book all about joy and rejoicing? Can that be said of your life? Can it be said of my life? Yeah, they've got a life full of problems, a lot of headaches, a lot of struggles. But man, you've never met anybody that rejoices like he does. You've never met anybody that's got joy like she does. Can these two things be reconciled? Are they really compatible problems and joy? Struggling and rejoicing? Can you really rejoice on the same day that you're going through your biggest struggle? Can you really have a genuine joy while you're enduring? Great hardships. Paul did. And he was teaching the people of Philippi to endure their struggles and their hardships with rejoicing. Hey, I bet if you had looked at the Apostle Paul, you'd have said, well, that guy didn't have any problems. He's always so happy. If you read his epistles, most of the time, unless he had a a reason to be hard on the people, like the people of Corinth and 1 Corinthians, unless he had a reason to be hard on them. But even there, he said, he said, you know, I know I'm hard on you when I write letters, but in person, I'm a nice guy. That's a paraphrase, but he said that in one place. Because when you met Paul, it seems very evident that he would have been a happy, optimistic, positive Person And you might have met Paul and said, oh, well, this guy doesn't have any problem. Oh, until you see the scars on his arms where he'd been whipped. You might say, oh, this guy doesn't have any trouble until you noticed the fact that he didn't see very well. He had very poor eyesight. And it's believed that that was his thorn in the flesh that he is Mentions in 2 Corinthians 12. Some people think it was other things, but it's a very strong belief that that was what he called his thorn in the flesh. His, his, and some have also attached that to the fact that the day that he got saved, he saw a bright light from heaven that blinded him for several days. And it's, it is guessed that the effects of that never went away. 
He said in one place in one of his epistles, he said, you see how uh, large the letters are that I write with because his eyesight was so bad. He Now, there's a whole other line of thinking that would refute everything I just said, but I, it's a very popular belief that Paul had horrible eyesight. But you wouldn't guess that when he came to the door and he was so happy to see you. And he greeted you with a smile. And you say, you know what? Whenever I'm around the Apostle Paul, it just seems like he's never down. I'm going to guess that he doesn't have any problems. Oh, but he did. So, rejoicing is compatible with struggling. Rejoicing can coexist with suffering. So how is that so? Well, let's take our third look at this whole book, all right? The other recurring theme of the book is your mind. So I'm going to go back to chapter 1. I'm going to walk you quickly through the book and show you how much the Bible talks about your mind. His mind, the mind of the people in the church. Sometimes it's a correcting of a wrong mind. Sometimes it's teaching them to be of the right mind. Sometimes it's telling them what's in his mind. But listen to some of these things. Chapter 1, verse 7. It is meet for me to think this of you all. Chapter 1, verse 27. With one mind striving together. Chapter 2, verse 2. That ye be like-minded. Chapter 2, verse 3. In lowliness of Mind. Chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Talking about Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 20. I have no man like-minded. Chapter 3, verse 4. If any other man thinketh. Chapter 3, verse 15. Let, this, uh, let us be thus-minded. If in anything ye be otherwise minded. Chapter 3, verse 16, let us mind the same thing. Chapter 3, verse 19, who mind earthly things. Chapter 4, verse 2, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Chapter 4, verse 8, think on these things. So we took three overviews of this book of Philippians. By the way, we're getting real close to the end of the message. Don't worry. Three overviews of the book of Philippians. The first time through, we looked at all the problems that Paul had and this church had. But the second time through, we saw that it's a constant theme of this book, joy, rejoicing, joy, rejoicing. How are these two things compatible? How could the same book, the same man, the same church be all about struggling and suffering and at the same time all about rejoicing? And the answer was in the third big look we took of Philippians chapter 3, and that is your mind, your thinking. See, Paul and the church of Philippi were surrounded by serious problems. Paul and the church of Philippi were characterized by joy and rejoicing. And Paul focused on his own way of thinking and their way of thinking. Here's the three basic conclusions we've looked at so far. Let's tie them all together. First of all, I want you to remember that you're always going to have problems. In case you've got it in your mind that, well, 
pretty soon life's going to get a little bit better and all my problems are going to be, they're not ever going to be gone, but they're going to be diminished. What I have found is the further I go and the harder I try, the more constant and more difficult my problems seem to get. Especially in the service of the Lord. Because I've got more opposition from Satan. He wants to stop me. He wants to discourage me. He doesn't want us going after souls. He does not want one more person to ride that bus out there and come to church and get saved. He doesn't want one more person to listen to the gospel on the radio broadcast and get saved. He doesn't want one more person coming to RU on Friday night and getting saved. He doesn't want one more person getting the door knocked on and have somebody give them the gospel at the door and them getting saved. He doesn't want one more person coming to a Sunday dinner and hearing the gospel and getting saved. Satan's probably more concerned about individuals than we are, only his concern is that he keeps their soul damned without Christ. And our concern is that we win them to Christ. But he's probably more burdened for souls in his way than we are in the way that we're supposed to be. And so he puts out constant opposition. If he can just get believers to the place where they say, you know what, I just can't take it anymore. You know what, Those, uh, that, that person at church is such a phony. I just can't. By the way, I heard a great, great quote this week. You ready, you ready for this? In case you've ever said, I just, I just can't, I can't serve the Lord because of, of so-and-so is a hypocrite. Are you ready to be smacked in the head? They smacked me in the head. If there's a hypocrite standing between you and Christ... He's closer to Christ than you are. (gasps) Anyway, let's keep going. You're always going to have problems. Your mood should not be determined by your problems or your absence of problems. Now, that's a hard one for me to swallow. Let me say that, that that's aimed at me first and foremost. My mood should not be determined by my problems or my absence of problems, but way too often it is. Things pile up and I just, oh man, I'm just in a lousy mood today. I'm not, I'm supposed to be rejoicing. You can rejoice on your worst day if your mind is in the right place. There's the message today. You can rejoice on your worst day if your mind is in the right place. Very quickly, in closing, let me show you three examples of where Paul's mind was. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul rejoiced in the success of the gospel. Listen, by the end of the day today, Lord willing, if today's dinner, the 31st dinner, is like the other 30, the previous 30 dinners, Lord willing, by the end of the day, someone will pray and receive Jesus as their Savior. In fact... I think of all these dinners, the, the lowest number we've ever had of people trusting Christ as their Savior was about six or seven. I don't know the lowest, but it wasn't, it wasn't lower than five. 
The highest number was somewhere up in the 20s. That was an incredible day. Most days are somewhere in between 10, 12, 15. But listen, if one person comes to Jesus Christ, that's forever for that person. That's eternity. Their eternal destination will have changed. And if you brought one can of green beans to put in a grocery bag, you've got a stake in that person's salvation. If you prayed for the Sunday, by the way, that means you still have 56 minutes to get in on it. You say, I can't be there today. I couldn't give anything, but you can pray. You can still get in on the people being saved. And listen, here's our problem. We don't think like that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to go too far down this road, but my mind does not think in a financial investment way. People talk about, you know, return on investment and all these and and all kinds of Wall Street language and stuff, and I have no clue. And it's not because I'm dumb because I'm not. It's because I've just never trained my mind that way. We, You know, we can talk Bible. We can find out if I'm dumb. I'm not dumb. It's just what I've chosen to be smart about. And I never have taken an interest in temporal investments. I learn what I can when I can. I listen to Dave Ramsey. I learn everything I can from Dave Ramsey. But uh, I'm, I'm not your portfolio guy at all. But most of us don't think in terms of eternal investments. Most of us, we're more worried about a 20 or 25-year retirement than we are about eternal rewards. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the one where people are cast into hell. That's the great white throne judgment. I believe we'll witness that, but we'll, if you're a child of God, you have no risk of going to hell at the great white throne. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ as already redeemed from our sins, but to be rewarded for our service. And there's a number of things that will matter at that day, but one of the things that will matter at that day is how many souls we've invested in. And all of a sudden, your mind's going to be scrambling. How much did I do? How much did I invest in people getting saved? One of my most important jobs is to urge you to invest in eternity. I'm not, that's not a money-raising scheme. I'm talking about with your prayer. I'm talking about with your labor. Yes, with your money, because it takes money to do God's work. But with, uh, it's, as, it's as hard to get volunteers for the Lord's work. It's as hard to get soul winners and, and leaders and teachers as it is to give, give people money. I'm not talking about uh, just giving money. I'm talking about everything that it takes to bring more souls to Christ. How much have you invested is going to matter to you someday when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to be condemned for your failure, but to be rewarded for your service and to realize how little you did when you could have done so much, for, so much more. For that reason and many others. And by the way, that's not a bad motive because Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But whatever your motive, maybe you're just motivated by straight up love for Jesus Christ. You wanted to be glorified and honored. But every believer ought to want the gospel to succeed. So all of that, the last three minutes there, all of that. 
Today may be an extremely difficult day for you for whatever reason. You say, I got so many problems, so many challenges, so much this. But by the end of the day, you can say, but even though this turned out to be a lousy, difficult, challenging, hard day, we saw five people saved today. I was there and I heard people, dear God, I know I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And right now, I receive him as my Savior. Come into my heart. Save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me to live for you. You say, I was there and I heard it. So listen, even though today may wind up somehow for some reason to be a day of tremendous struggle and difficulty for you, it can still be a day of rejoicing because of the success of the gospel. Two more points quickly. I won't take as long on the last two. Philippians 2, 16 through 18, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice, rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, if I'm executed for preaching, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Not only did did Paul rejoice in the success of the gospel, he rejoiced in the opportunity to be used of God. You'll give out a bag today. People will walk, and I see these bags all the time in the streets of Danbury, and it has a picture of the cross, and it says, Behold the love of God. They're all over the city of Danbury. And you'll put those into the hands of people today. And you will represent the love of God to people today. Thirdly, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul rejoiced though he was in prison, though he had problems all over the place. He rejoiced in the success of the gospel. He rejoiced in the opportunity to be used of God. And he rejoiced in the person and presence of God himself. You have God. You know him. He loves you. He's your father. You're his child. You rejoice in the Lord. We're not of the mind, and I'm closing my Bible, I'm done. We're not of the mind that we've got to win the lottery ticket to to rejoice. We're not of the mind that we've got to be the most popular person in the crowd to rejoice no we're we we rejoice over things that actually matter the success of the gospel the opportunity to be used for god's glory and in the lord himself let's stand together this morning